Welcome to Smart Companies Thinking Bigger Radio. Get the inside scoop on how America's most successful business owners transform their entrepreneurial vision into reality. And listen in as some of the top business minds in the country serve up practical advice, tips, and insights for growing your business. Now, here's your host, Kelly Scanlon. Good morning. Welcome to Smart Companies Radio. I'm Kelly Scanlon, publisher of Thinking Bigger Business Media. Our guest today is Bobby Klink. Bobby is a best-selling author and an intellectual property attorney, and he helps people like you and me, entrepreneurs, startups, innovators, harness the power of our intellectual property rights and also help us helps us to reduce exposure to lawsuits or any brand challenges that might occur in the marketplace. He has two books out. One is titled The Entrepreneur's IP Planning Playbook, and the other is Patent Litigation Primer. And he's here to talk with us today about some of the gotchas that we might not be aware of when it comes to IP, why it's important, and and just some other questions that ought to be helpful as you go about uh, creating and innovating in your businesses. So welcome to the show today, Bobby. Thank you. I'm, I'm glad to be here. Okay, so this is a topic that... Um, a lot of people don't want to pay attention to until there is a problem. So let's just get right to that. What is uh, one of the biggest legal mistakes that a business owner can make when it comes to intellectual property issues? Well, the first thing I would say is actually the, the your statement there is probably a good starting point for the biggest mistake people make, and that is that they don't think about their intellectual property until there's a problem. And if you do that, if you take that approach, you end up with very limited options um, because you may not have protected your rights or you may have violated someone else's rights. So the first piece of advice I give to everybody is simply that they need to take the time to create a plan and create a strategy before there's a problem so that they can hopefully avoid a problem, but also if one comes up, they'll be in the, the best position to avoid an, uh, avoid a long protracted fight. Um, so that, that that's I guess you might call a meta uh, statement, but mm-hmm. there are a lot of there are a lot of particular mistakes people make, and um, one of the biggest ones that I see is people not taking the time to make sure that they have the right to use the brand name that they choose. Yeah. And this falls on, uh, under trademark law, and a lot of people think that I I'm saying they need to trademark everything about their business, and that's not necessarily the case. You might need to, and you probably should take the time to register a trademark for your brand name, the, the main name you use. But the biggest mistake is just not even looking to see if anyone else has trademarked the name before you start using it. And if you make that mistake, what can end up happening is you end up, say, four, five, six months down the line, or even later, after you've built a lot of brand equity and you start to actually be noticed by people on the market, then the the trademark owner will come out and send you a letter and you'll have to decide whether you want to try to fight it or whether you want to just change your name at a point when it's obviously not good to have to change your name. Right. And you bring up a great point there about what can be protected. I I think that's where a lot of people just really get stymied. When when do I need to be worried about it? When don't I? Uh, It seems obvious that your brand name, the brand that you're doing business under, would be a a logical uh, assumption to make that you should look into that one so that you don't step on anybody else and so that you can protect yourself um, as well. But what are some of the other things that people should look into getting protected? 
Well, so there, there's a lot of things that you can protect, and, and, and stepping back for a moment, there's really four broad categories of intellectual property that people need to be thinking about. The one we've been talking about is trademark, mm-hmm. and so that, that's, that's a branch that has to do with designating the source of a good or service, and, and by source, it means basically the company or the person who makes it, so think Coca-Cola. So it could be your name, it could be your logo, it could be a slogan that you use that, um, you know, that, that for, so for example, I'm guessing I'm loving it is uh, probably a trademark, and I haven't looked at it, but probably a trademark slogan uh, by one of the big companies we all know. Uh, Just do it would be an obvious one that Nike has trademarked. And so you can do slogans as well. But there are other branches of intellectual property law. One, one that most people have heard of and know about is, is patent law, which covers inventions. And it can be a, a physical invention, a physical thing, but it can also protect a, a method of doing something, a method of doing business or a method of accomplishing something. Um, patents often get way too much attention, in my view, quite honestly, because they're the most expensive form of intellectual property to get. It can uh, easily run you $10,000 or more to get a patent. And the vast majority of them never actually get used commercially. So um, most people will spend $10,000 and then not make a dime back. So that's an area that often it's not worth pursuing. If you have a truly innovative idea, it can be worth it, but you need to think about it and work usually with an IP lawyer to, to really assess whether it's worthwhile. Um, yeah, and, and if, I could, if I could stop you before you go into the third one yep, there yep. And, and ask you a question here about the patents, that's something that in the startup community, especially the tech startup community, uh, that I see, it, it's an argument that goes back and forth all the time if you get into the, the chat rooms and, and the group discussions and so forth. Some people will be, say, be saying, oh my gosh, yes, you have to protect yourself. There's people out there who are just waiting to pounce on your ideas. Make sure you get every one of them patented. And then there's others like you who say, well, wait a minute, not so fast. So, so what are some of the guidelines that you would give these startups who often are cash-strapped and $10,000 is very real money to them? What would you say to them about that? Well, what I would say is, and this is part of the, 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 the first point I made of needing to have a plan and overall strategy. What, what I uh, try to uh, guide companies and entrepreneurs through is a process of planning where think of it like triage in the medical field where you're identifying, you identify kind of your, both your assets that you potentially could protect, but also your policies and procedures and things you need to be, uh, steps you need to be taking to avoid uh, infringing on other people's rights. And so you kind of come up with this catalog and then you think through, especially on the, the protecting your own assets, I have companies go through an exercise of saying, well, is this core to our business or not? Because if you think about it, if you're a startup, you, you maybe only have one or two products or one or two ideas or innovations, but as you grow, you can often have a lot of different things going on in your business. Mm-hmm. Some of them are, are just you know tangents that – are unlikely really to go anywhere. So you have to do that process, and then you have to think and say, well, how critical is it to our business? How devastating would it be if someone else were using this? And then you go through the process of saying, and how valuable is it? And from that, you kind of, it's not a mathematical formula where you get some you know, automatic ranking, but it allows a company or an entrepreneur to go through the process of 
basically valuing within their own company the different assets or potential assets so they can then decide which ones they want to protect. And they also, in the process, will have to think about the cost. So again, I mentioned patents are very expensive, whereas a trademark isn't. And, and another form, trade secrets are effectively free if you do it right. So sure. you, know, you have to think through all these different, all of these different issues and then allocate whatever the cash is that you have available for intellectual property in the most efficient way. And okay. so that, that's why, I guess that's why I'm saying too many people are doing it very haphazardly and are thinking about a, an individual issue at a time rather than having an overall plan where they really are spending the money in the most efficient way and deploying it to the places that are likely to have the biggest bang for the buck for their company. Okay, and great points uh, and, and great questions to ask yourself as you're trying to decide whether or not to move forward with that. So you had mentioned, uh, you had discussed trademarks and then patents, and you're about ready to talk about the third form of IP. Yeah, and the third form is copyright, which again, mo most people are familiar with copyright, but a lot of people, I think, think of copyright as really only relating to songs or books or things that maybe businesses don't think they're creating. Well, if you have any kind of uh, written work that has any kind of creative aspect to it, and, and creative here doesn't have to be uh, fiction creative. I mean, it could be obviously nonfiction works are, um, are creative as well. It's just it has to be more than just a compilation of data. But so if you have a white paper that you've created for your business, well, that's a copyrighted piece of material. For entrepreneurs and Internet entrepreneurs, if you've created an online course, that will have copyright protection. So that's an area where you potentially have rights, and you can um, protect those if you see someone who's literally gone and kind of stolen your white paper and just put their name on it, you could go after them. Again, would it be worthwhile? You'll have to make that determination um, down the line, but it's something you need to be thinking about. And in copyright, the, the bigger issue I see companies, small companies running into is that they've made the mistake, mistake of just going out and grabbing an image from somewhere and putting it on their website or using it for right. social media, and they don't have a license to do that. And mm -hmm. you know, candidly, Candidly, if it's a you know just a individual person who put the image up, you'll probably get away with it. You shouldn't be doing it, but you'll probably get away with it. But if it happens to be a Getty image, for example, mm -hmm. or an image from one of these bigger companies, they'll probably find it, and they're going to come after you, and you may have to pay thousands of dollars in damages for having used it. So you know those are the copyright issues that companies see and companies face. And then the final area is the one – that I mentioned a bit ago that I said was free, and that's trade secrets. And this is an area that most people, I mean, I think people have heard the term trade secret, but don't necessarily know what it means. Well, the trade secret just means commercially valuable information that is not generally known and that you have taken reasonable steps to protect as confidential. And so it can be any number of things. Again, a classic example is the recipe for Coca-Cola. That's a, sure. a piece of information that's been kept secret for over 100 years. Uh, as I understand it, the only written copy is in a bank vault in Atlanta, and fewer than five people know the, the recipe itself. So wow. you know, they, take, they take very extensive steps, but that's because of the value of that piece of information. So the reasonableness question really comes down to what is the value and, and 
in the context of a typical small business, um, the the obvious example of a trade secret would be your customer list and yeah. kind of your CR, CRM data. And so as long as you take reasonable steps to protect the confidentiality of that, when an employee leaves, they can't then take that information with them and use it to start their business or to use for a competitor. So that is a piece of information that's or an area of intellectual property that's easy to employ. You just have to take reasonable steps, which are the basic steps I tell people is you need to have confidentiality clauses in your employment agreements just that say just that, that you won't use any confidential information you learn uh, for any purpose other than to, for, um, to move our business forward. And then just take you know, obvious steps. I, I'm often surprised I will see business people who, for example, have their phones that don't have uh, any kind of password protection even to turn the phone on, which always stuns me. <laughs> I can't believe that these days, that someone wouldn't at least have some level of confidentiality because it's, it's an important step to take. Uh, exactly. So with this fourth one, it's, it doesn't really cost a lot of money to uh, – to protect it because it, it's mostly just keeping it's keeping it confidential and it's it's putting certain clauses in your employment agreements and so forth. But it might cost you some money to try to enforce it later on. Uh, that's that's right. Come in. Yeah, that's right. You know, okay. and look, you'll, you'll have to spend a little bit of resource. It's money, but it's also time up front in establishing your procedures. But if you establish the procedures, and again, once you have this employment agreement with the right clauses drafted. Again, you don't have to really change it from employee to employee. You just use it over yeah. and over again. So there, there will be a small cost up front. And then that's what I said at the beginning. There will be a cost of enforcing, and you may decide it's not worth enforcing based on particular facts, but at least you'll have the option. Mm -hmm. um, you know, in the news these days, people have probably heard about the, um, the Waymo. I think it's Waymo, the name, the, the Google-affiliated self-driving car company has recently sued Uber, alleging that Uber effectively is, and it, it, it's a convoluted way, but effectively has hired away an engineer who downloaded, I think it was 1,400 or 4,100 files right before he left uh, Uber, uh, left Google's uh, company and Google's employment. And so there is an ongoing trade secrets fight between those two companies right now. Okay, so you have gone through the four different major buckets of intellectual property, and they all have various uh, lengths of time in order to obtain those protections, various uh, steps, and various forms of paperwork. And so your recommendation would be that you need to hire an attorney to uh, take you through all those different stages for each different type, Is that, or, or, is, or is there a way to do it yourself? or? There are ways to do it yourself, and so, so what I'll say is a, a patent is the only form of intellectual property that you have to go through and get government approval to have any protection for. Okay. So a copyright, as soon as you put a work down in fixed form, it has protection. You can go through the process of registering it, which gives you extra um, advantages if you get to, ha to a point of having a lawsuit later. Um, again, that's not a very difficult process, so you can do that either yourself or you know, you could go to one of the various internet uh, resources. LegalZoom, for example, will have a process, and, and again, you're, 
there you're hiring LegalZoom, obviously, but you don't necessarily need to go and hire an expensive attorney to do it. Okay. Trademarks, the same thing. You get some common law protection as soon as you start using your trademark in, in commerce. So as soon as you start using it in your business, you'll have some protection. Um, the protection is limited, however, if you don't register it. So that is one where going through the process of registering it with the United States Patent and Trademark Office has some value. Again, the, the process, I think the filing fees, I think the filing fee itself is 200 and something dollars per category, and you can file in multiple categories. And then you can get someone to do it for $200, $300. If you search around, you can find an attorney to do that. You can try to do it yourself, but, you know, again, depending on how much you value your time, you'll probably probably have to spend five hours or more to really understand everything at least, I mean, maybe 10 hours if if you're not someone who does this all the time, to make sure that you don't forget to file something or, mm-hmm. you know, so I, that's one, especially I think you can find people who will do it for say $200. It's probably worth your time to, to get that person to do it just because otherwise you might mess it up. Um, exactly. And, tra- and trade secrets, quite honestly, you just need to have the policies in place. So what, what I really recommend for people is that the most important step like I said, is the the first level step before you start registering anything or doing anything of putting together a plan. And you can do that yourself or you can work with an attorney to help you kind of put an overall plan in place. And then, you know, there will be various levels of doing it yourself and and other places where you need the the attorney to do it uh, Mm -hmm. for you. Yeah, and you, you've mentioned when it comes to the trade secret part that you need to have confidentiality statements within your employment agreements and so forth. What other kinds of written agreements should businesses have in order to protect themselves? You know, obviously you need to go through the formal procedure with the government or whatever issuing agency to get the um, the protection to begin with. But then after that, are there other kinds of of written agreements that should be in place with people that you do business with, like your employees with the trade secrets? Yeah. Well, so so there's. Let me go through a list of agreements that every business should have. Well, if you have more than one owner, you need to have either an operating agreement or a partnership agreement, depending on how you're organized. And that's not really a matter of intellectual property law. That's just a a matter of if you don't, you're going to have a problem later. I could tell you horror story after horror story about how people, you know, and some of them, I made the mistake myself, quite honestly, in a prior law firm where, you know, and I won't go into it, but if you don't have these written agreements, you can end up with a situation where years down the line, there's a dispute. And I honestly believe that almost all of these are good faith disputes of people just not, maybe people were on a different page at the beginning or maybe they've just forgotten. Right. So you need to have that agreement that says who owns what, whose responsibility, you know, what responsibility each person has, et cetera. So that's a first level agreement. You also need to have with employees and independent contractors, you need to have an assignment agreement. And again, it can be part of their overall uh, employment agreement. But what an assignment agreement is, is that's just fancy legal term for transferring rights to intellectual property mm. uh, with with all forms of federal intellectual property, transfer has to be in writing. So an employee saying orally, oh, well, you know, I'll give this to the company, isn't good enough. Um, there, there are 
instances and you can make arguments in the context of a copyright or a trademark that it was a work for hire, for example. Uh, and, and, and a trademark would most likely be owned by the company because the company would have registered in it and would be the one using it. But in the case of patents, just this is one where it's absolutely clear. If your employees invent something and they're listed as the inventors on the invention and they have not signed a written document that assigns their rights to you, they own it, you don't. And so think about that. If you don't have that paperwork while they work for you and five, ten years down the line, you have an issue, you're going to have to try to search down those employees who maybe have left and have gone on to something else. Maybe they left on bad terms, who knows. But at that point, trying to get them to assign their rights will be very difficult. And I've, I've had to do that for companies before where literally we were <laughs> trying to find or employees who hadn't worked for the company for I think in one case, seven or eight years. And as you can imagine, finding them can be hard. And then when you find them, they, they say, why? And some of them say, well, give me something. Give me some money then. Exactly. So, yeah. <laughs> I have something of value you, to you, for you. So. Right, right. so you can solve that very easily. And there's some magic language that, that basically you can put in saying that I agree to assign and hereby do assign, you know, all um, – you know, all intellectual property, and you know, you can put a long list of things, and so right. that's a piece of a piece of the agreement you should have. And then you mentioned this one other thing: if you're ever going to share confidential information with a potential business partner, you should have a non-disclosure agreement in place. Again, they don't have to be overly complicated, but you just need to have an agreement that says, "Hey, we're going to share confidential information with you, and you're going to use it only, and again, whatever it is, to assess this potential business opportunity or." whatever your purpose is, and then says that they won't use it for any other purpose and that they'll destroy the information um, after the transaction is complete. So that's kind of a, a pretty simple non-disclosure agreement that you could put in place. And again, you can download those forms much, you know, much cheaper than having an attorney draft it from scratch. Right. Now, you have obviously you've gone through some of the highlights here. Uh, there is much more detail that we could go into, but the show's not going to allow that today. And so if somebody would like to, short of hiring an attorney, or I guess they could go out and do some of their own research, but you've got a lot of this in your books. Where can we get your books? Yeah, so, so this is what we've been talking about today is really the subject of the Entrepreneur's IP Planning Playbook. And both of my books, hey, if you want to go and buy a physical copy, you can do that on Amazon or other places. But um, you know, I also will give people free PDF downloads on my website. You know, they have to just give me their email address. But so that's at www.clinkllc.com, and, and Clink is K-L-I-N-C-K. So if people go to my website, it's pretty easy to find the books and to download them for free. Sure. So clinkllc.com, K-L-I-N-C-K. LLC.com. And then you've also got some other resources out there. You want to tell us about those? Yeah, so I have some other resources. I mean, on my website, in addition to the books, you'll see there is an area that I have. I think it's called the, the, the Academy, where it has various free resources about intellectual property law. I also have set up a free four-part um, email course that people can take that 
walks through the process of creating a plan for your intellectual property in conjunction with the book, and, and you can download some forms as well. You can get that on the website at clinkllc.com forward slash podcast. That's where I house that, and you can go there and sign up to take uh, that, that course for free. Okay, so lots of resources out there at clinkllc.com. And as we leave here today, Bobby, if you could give business owners one piece of advice, now listen, everybody, you're getting a free piece of advice here from an attorney, uh, what would it be? Well, it's a more general piece of advice that applies, and that's don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Uh, Um, And and so in the context of what I do, that means, you know, don't let the fact that can't maybe hire the most expensive lawyer uh, stop you or can't even hire a lawyer. It's better to do this yourself than to not do it at all. Um, And, you know, it's better to hire a cheap lawyer than, you know, not hire someone because you're afraid of the cost. But, you know, start taking action today and you can avoid a lot of headache down the line. Great advice. And if you'd like to learn more about how to grow your business, please visit our website at IThinkBigger.com. Follow us on Facebook, Thinking Bigger Business Media, or on Twitter at IThinkBigger. Bobby, it's been wonderful having you as a guest today. Uh, We really appreciate the insights that you shared with us. It's been fun. Thanks. Uh, Have a great weekend, and we'll see you next week, everyone. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.